everyone. Welcome to episode six of your podcast, Lingua Viz. These are Claudia and Anna Karen. In this episode, we will have a very interesting interview about phonetics, and we are honored to welcome a very special guest, Professor Neil Blomquist. So it's Leviosa or Leviosa. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Let me introduce Professor Neil Blomquist, who is currently working at the Universidad Guanajuato, and his areas of expertise include the following language learning strategies, teaching English as a foreign language, cognitive linguistics, second language acquisition, foreign language learning, language learning, English language studies, corpus linguistics, and of course, applied linguistics. Welcome, Professor Neil. We are pleased to have you in this podcast, and thank you for making the time. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We are so happy to have you here. Could you please tell us about how your interest in the area of applied linguistics emerged? Sure. Well, uh, I don't know how different it is from a lot of us who are in the language teaching profession, but uh, for me, I, you know, I like learning language and, um, and then I fell into teaching it. Uh, originally, what I, what I wanted to do was work in the United States uh, in the high school system there uh, teaching literature. So I, I actually studied uh, my undergraduate for for an emphasis in teaching uh, English literature. Uh, but then I ended up in Mexico and uh, started teaching English and of course, you know, um, enjoying learning Spanish uh, and then eventually uh, trying to learn other languages and eventually working with beginners, uh, especially it's something that I didn't think I would like in the beginning when I started teaching language, but I, I ended up liking working with beginners at first they they kind of forced me into it and i was like oh man i gotta teach beginners you know and i, I wanted to work with literature and advanced uh students uh, but i loved teaching beginners and and i also love learning other languages i don't get very far and i can't consider myself an expert uh, but starting to learn languages i see difficulties in myself that I would see in my students. And so that cycle started where I would study something about how to learn language, how to teach it. And, and it was a nice little cycle of helping myself learn another language and then helping my students who are having difficulties learning languages, which was uh, just uh, a continuously developing passion for uh, applied linguistics. Thank you very much for sharing. Well, and as we can see, you wanted to be a teacher, right? And at the end of the day, you, I mean, you're teaching, I mean, right. but at the end of the day, you're still teaching, right? So, yeah, exactly. Thank you. So also, we know that the terms phonology and phonetics might be confusing to a certain extent, right? Yet important mm -hmm. to distinguish. So sure. can you please tell us what is the difference between phonetics and phonology for our audience to have a more a clear example? Sure. Um, well, you know, uh, it's it can get very confusing, but um, but for our purposes, you know, phonetics is usually when we uh, look at individual sounds in a particular language, and uh, and work on how to produce those sounds mechanically. So we talk about our mouth and our tongue, uh, and what we do with those to produce these uh, specific sounds. Uh, in the language, and um, and then uh, phonology is more encompassing and involves uh, other aspects of 
uh, pronunciation, which are, you know, the segmental and super segmental aspects of language. So the individual sounds are the segments and then the other uh, aspects such as intonation um, and uh, well, word stress on a segmental level and then sentence stress, what particular word you stress in a sentence all get involved in phonology. And so phonology also uh, studies how the the rules that sort of connect all of those together uh and how the they are represented in the mind of the speaker and also of the listener um so it's all very interconnected but the basic difference uh that sort of helps me keep it apart is phonetics are sort of the mechanics of producing uh sounds and phonology are uh, all of the different patterns and how those are represented uh, in our mind. Thank you very much for this really clear explanation between these two terms. You make it seems really simple when in fact, when we were reading about it, it seemed really complicated to be honest for me. And maybe it will be, uh, it become more complex every time that we read it even a little bit more sure. of, uh, of every each of the theme. One of the reasons that we want to get into this theme is because of its importance in applied linguistics. And, and um, as, as Schmidt suggests, every language has a specific structural rules, which in a way govern the way sounds are allowed to come together to make words. So we understand that this area um, composes applied linguistics as a primarily integrated in the branch of second language teaching, as along with areas such as semantics, grammar, syntax, pragmatics, among others. So it is an important aspect as well in our area. Exactly, Karen. So on the other hand, uh, Nasty in, in 1999 argues that there is something esoteric in phonetics and phonology, the objects they handle, right? Sounds, articulatory features, acoustic spectra, stress degrees, or melodies are more elusive and hard to observe for the non-specialists than say suffixes, word order, or even meaning. So therefore, the validity of the phonetics phonology dichotomy itself may be questioned when it comes to their application, right? So in this regard, Professor Neil, what can you tell us about the value of addressing phonology from an applied linguistic perspective and what are some of its applications? Okay, well, um... I think there's a, a lot of uh, applications, um, despite what many in the profession of language teaching might might think. Uh, I, I work with teachers, so, uh, and they think that pronunciation is important, but they find that once they start teaching that it's not important to particular programs or textbooks. And then when you look into it, it does get complicated, as you say. So uh, it's it's a little bit problematic in applying uh, a very big uh, area uh, and complicated area to the classroom. And so when when dealing with it, I think it's important just to have clear goals uh, and um, and really, you know, choose your battles wisely so how do you do that well how do i do it i mean so far uh it changes and it and and that's inevitable but uh in the literature and and in my own practice uh, uh my goals are limited to intelligibility and listening comprehension 
Uh, now, everybody knows about intelligibility, I think. Everybody wants to be understood when they speak in the uh, uh, second language. Uh, but it, but it also an important aspect is uh, listening comprehension. And so when it touches on those two, that's, that's where uh, it's important um, for me. And that's how I, I choose my, my, uh, my specific recommendations. So I don't go through every sound in the English language on the uh, internet, international phonetics uh, chart. Uh, it's impossible. There's not enough time. And not all those sounds are really that important to produce correctly. And even when you say something like produce it correctly, what does that mean? You know, I mean, does that mean that, that they have to sound like a named speaker? Uh, and so that's where that that issue of intelligibility becomes important. So if if they produce a sound that affects their intelligibility. So in other words, any person listening, if they have problems understanding that person because of that particular phoneme, then that needs to be corrected. Um, and, and likewise with uh, any kind of phono uh, uh, phono phonological aspect where you, you look at uh, intonation, which isn't always important, um, but more important for me, is uh, word stress uh, and sentence stress. So what specific words are you stressing and what um, part of that word are you stressing and when? So, so for me, uh, distinguishing between the two isn't, isn't always what I do. I, I try to take it as a package and say, okay, well, this is, a, this is important uh, in this particular uh, sentence. And I have some examples here. I don't know if you're ready. I know that's not really clear. It's really general, but, but so for example, just to show you how it comes as a package, um, uh, let's, let's say, you know, uh, you're, you're dealing with, uh, you, your title of this podcast is, is with the Leviosa, right? Leviosa. Uh, are you guys fans of Harry Potter? you could say so <laughs> okay, well, I, I i didn't know but i had to go and look at that that particular scene i i i'm not a uh very knowledgeable about that world um but it's interesting that you chose that can i ask you uh before i start why why did you choose that particular example well it is part of the pop culture uh you could say from a, a specific generation and it is um exactly about the importance of uh, pronunciation of a word. So it's sure. just a way of uh, eliciting how there is uh, for some people the, um, like, uh, I don't want to be repetitive, but the, for some people it's really important to pronunciate or the, the pronunciation of some words are really um important i'm sorry that yeah. was really redundant but yes that's well, that's what we wanted saying. to say uh -huh. yeah well i i'm wondering you know what you guys think i mean do you think Her hermione is right i mean is that should she be so strict on that particular word do you think that's an important word to correct there that's one of our uh our following questions in fact about the point of view between prescriptivist and descriptivist yeah and uh, in this case we could see as hermione hermione as a prescriptivist point of view yeah yeah it's interesting i don't know how it really works in that world 
you know what how, what makes a spell work so i i guess just speculating not and showing my ignorance about that world but how does a spell work or not work like what makes the the feather so for those who haven't seen the that scene you know they're they're hermione is sitting next to ron and they're working on trying to get a, a feather to levitate and so they have to say it and ron can't get it to work and so she she corrects him she's like it's not working because of your pronunciation so let's assume that whatever makes that feather levitate is some sort of like spirit world you know there's spirits that lift it up so uh, did those spirits not understand uh you know the, the specific word yes. that ron was trying to say and they're there that would be uh important and so she's right there was a, a listening comprehension uh problem on the part of the uh, spirits they just didn't understand they're fluent speakers of latin and uh and and that and and that didn't work however i, I would find it uh difficult to you know imagine that they didn't understand the difference between Le leviosa and leviosa I, I, unless you know there were other uh, uh, like another part of the phrase which would make it complicated um or it indicated some kind of past tense where there wouldn't be a past tense uh something like that um but but it seems to me that um that would not be a really important um issue uh but it could be and and in this case it, it seems to me because the the spirits didn't understand and didn't uh, raise the uh, the feather so intelligibility was key and so she, maybe she was right you know that uh, that it was uh, part of the part of the spell and 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 it needed to be pronounced correctly so so that's what's key for me is uh intelligibility and and so when you speak to be understood but also, on the other hand, I, I think something that doesn't get enough emphasis uh, uh, in the classroom and in the literature is um, that aspect of uh, listening comprehension. So uh, our ability as second language learners to understand what is being said to us based on uh, difficult pronunciation rules. So maybe maybe an example would help here. So something that I work on uh, more than like all all the individual sounds that are different in uh, English. I like schwa. You know, I think schwa is a really, really important sound, um, and it and it goes hand in hand with what you're doing in a segmental level and uh, in a super segmental level. So, word stress and sentence stress. So, for example, you know, um, in the in the literature, uh, this one of one of the top guys uh right now is uh levis uh and um and he he talks about how um you know these little words these function words uh can be quite difficult and and they don't get enough attention so we're talking about words like in at on um uh uh is a big one for me so um uh is a word and so i teach uh the word before a the letter because if 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 my students have the uh and talking about phonology if they have this conceptualized idea that this word is pronounced as a when it really in reality is almost never produced as a uh, it's produced as uh and it's not stressed 
that can affect uh, both their intelligibility and, and their ability to comprehend the, the message that people speak to them. Um, so other, other words uh, I think that are really important are, are words like to. So they have this concept, okay, we teach them to. Uh, and, and that can be uh, to, especially for um, the pronunciation of, a, of a, an infinitive, like to go. Uh, where we, you know, teach to, uh, but we pronounce it ta with a schwa because it's unstressed. So there's this interrelation between not stressing a word and then uh, a reduction of the vowel. So the vowel is changed from to to ta. And this happens all the time. So my, my example sentence that I'll give you uh, just to illustrate this is um, you can go but I don't want to go to the store today. Now that's, I read it, read it and pronounced it the way uh, some, uh, maybe some teachers would read it and pronounce it carefully so that they would, the students would understand all of that. But there's lots of uh, interaction between um, the, the sentence stress and word stress and vowels being reduced to schwa. So that's why schwa is really important to me because when I say it naturally and fast, I say, you can go, but I don't want to go to the store today, right? So it's full of schwas. It makes it sound really fast. And in my experience, working with beginners seems to be something that makes it difficult to understand. Not that they have to produce that, um, but just so that, so that they know that, hey, there's this schwa sound uh, that exists in English that doesn't exist in Spanish, and it can cause some uh, complications. And so, but it can cause complications, uh, uh, according to Levis, uh, when, when, for example, can, that word is reduced. So I can, I say, I can, or you can. So it's can in an actual flow of uh, speech. Uh, but when it's emphasized as can, uh, mo many native speakers, especially from North America, will understand can't. Because when we say can't, we usually keep that vowel uh, uh, as, a, as the pure original vowel and not reduce. So we say can't. So, so sometimes we clarify it, like you can or you can't. But, but in the normal uh, flow of a conversation, so if I say you can go, we understand can, puedes. But if I say you can't, then that's no puedes, right? So, so it can make a difference in that sense. So that's why the schwa and uh, sentence stress and word stress are, are really, really important. And the same thing with, with uh, want to. You know, it's really, really rare for uh, native speakers to be talking to each other and to say want to, right? Almost all of them say wanna, right? And so why does that happen? So, because to is a small word and it gets reduced to a schwa. And, and in special cases, we even just take the T out. We don't need the T. We'll just get rid of the T too and just keep the schwa, wanna. Um, and that can be really complicated for beginner uh, learners. Uh, so so uh, that's, that's one of the things that I work with. So how, how do I do that? One of the ways is that I, I, I you know, in, if you look at a normal textbook or even uh, a book that, uh, specializes in, in activities for teaching pronunciation, they'll say, okay, well, here's one thing you can do. You know, 
teach them to emphasize the big words, uh, the important words of the sentence. So you you can go. So you would be important there, but I, I don't want to go to the store today or today maybe store and today would be big ones. But I find a, a big part of that also, uh, especially for uh, Spanish speakers, is not emphasizing those little words because that can cause some problems. It changes the, the vowel and it also can change how that person is being understood. So I say, don't emphasize those big words. Don't put an accent in the, in the overall flow of the sentence. Don't say to, I want to, to go. You know, that would be something that could be a little confusing because the, the speakers are, uh, the listeners rather, are expecting to. And, and so they're expecting a certain vowel and for it to not be stressed. So it's a really complete package uh, and a lot more complicated, but uh, I try to make it not as complicated by working with specific uh, phrases rather than um, always just isolated words or isolated um, sounds as represented on the IPA. But I do teach schwa and I teach the symbol and everything, the weird upside down E. And I'm like this, this is, there's no other way to represent it you know it's just like and it's a cool looking symbol so I was like I'm always telling my students hey you know there's this weird symbol it's a sound it doesn't exist in uh, Spanish but it's really important it's the most common uh, sound in the English language and it really is everywhere and it's um, important to be able to uh, at least recognize it and sometimes produce it Thank you very much yep. for such contribution. Actually, I think that's the reason why we call this episode the way we did, because we want to hear a perspective from a professional, right? And as you said, it's important to let the students also know, like sometimes we do not emphasize that much on pronunciation. So it depends on some other features as, as uh, what stress, etc. what you mm -hmm. just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let's go with the IPA, International Phonetic Alphabet. You mentioned yeah. it before. Sure. And well, Phoneticians vary in their opinions on the theoretical validity of speech segments, right? So segmentation, sorry, seems to be considered troublesome uh, mm -hmm. if the goal is to represent exactly the level of detail that is visible in the acoustic waveform, because acoustic segments often do not correspond one-to-one -one with a phonetic segmentation. So this leads us to the next question. Do you consider EPA to be useful in the classroom? Maybe it's a little bit redundant here, but we would like you to share your opinion here. And what would you recommend to those who want to use it, uh, either for teaching purposes, contrast analysis, or learning? Um, I think every teacher should know uh, the sounds that are represented on the uh, International Phonetic Alphabet. Uh, it, it's not that hard. Uh, a lot of them are uh, easy symbols, and uh, it can really help you uh, distinguish what is important and uh, is not important. Um, and so oftentimes it is quite important. So understanding uh, the difference between uh, what we would call like the long I and the short I uh, can uh, be important in being understood. It's not always uh, important, but I think it's important for teachers to uh, be able to recognize those sounds uh, and their graphic representation. The uh, International Phonetic Alphabet is a, a brilliant accomplishment, and there are other versions that they've they tried before that, 
Um, if you care to see one of those versions, it comes out in a movie um, uh, and uh, it's called My Fair Lady uh, from the 60s. Uh, it's a great movie, uh, all about pronunciation. Uh, and, and in this case, the importance of uh, not only specific phonemes uh, uh, as represented on, on their particular uh, phonetic chart, uh, but, uh, but also just the societal aspects of it. Like what happens when you change somebody's pr pronunciation? Can they move up in society? So it's a, it's a great uh, concept for a movie and based on an older book. But uh, so, so if you see this chart in that movie, it's really confusing. Uh, especially compared to the one we have now, uh, divided by consonants and vowels. Uh, so it's very useful. But as I said, I don't um, use any of those uh, symbols for my students, except for the schwa, just because I think the schwa is so important and, and it's a, a cool looking symbol and it seems pretty easy for them to remember. So that's that's the only one I, I use uh, specifically with the students. But as a reference for teachers, I think it's uh, absolutely uh, important. And it's great because if you have a doubt, uh, then you can look up a word. And instead of looking at the very confusing uh, ways that some dictionaries represent the pronunciation of that word, like for, um, like they'll they'll write out for a a h instead of one of the the specific representations of that of the sound of that of that uh word based on the ipa so it's very clear uh and and so yeah i think it's indispensable um i don't know if there was there another part of your question no, that's okay. I just I, I would say just that the Shoah is such a headache for uh, language learner students. But yeah, it is important, and essential to to learn it, to yeah. to understand it. Actually, since uh, especially uh, we Mexicans, we do not have that in our alphabet, right? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it, it's a headache, but it's it's one of those things that doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? Because it's not that hard to make. It's easy to to describe it. It's, it's like ah, but you don't open your mouth as much. You know, you just keep your mouth closed. You can have them clench their teeth and just say uh, oh, uh, you know, and that keeps them from opening their mouth, which is the tendency for Mexican speakers is to just turn it into an a. So so to say ah, uh, instead of uh, uh. So I I, ha I haven't practiced that. Um, for example, with the to and the. Uh, and and other words where where it's um, it's it's important based on where where the stress is in the word. For example, like a, a a word like Canada, that's a fun one to practice, right? Because there's a stressed part of that word, and that that a is a a in in North American English, um, an a or or uh, more of the British a. I can't do it the way all of their different. Um, accents represent that letter, but but it's it's really obvious, I think, in the North American uh, pronunciation of that word, uh, where it's can and then uh, so unstressed. The two unstressed parts of that word uh, are schwas, and so it's fun to kind of present those words and be like, okay, well, where where are the schwas here and why? And if you teach them the rule, and that is a rule, 
uh, a lot of times the words with many syllables will, uh, the, the reduction in syllables to schwa's almost always occur on unstressed syllables of the word. And then get that. It's a nice, it's a nice rule to, to be able to uh, examine every once in a while. So of course, I'm not gonna have a whole class uh, that uh, we're, we're, we're studying this. We don't have time for that. Uh, but every once in a while, just recall that to their attention and say, remember, you know, this, this, this word like Canada or Japan, you know, where's the stress? So Japan, uh, it's on the pan. So remember that's, it's ja, Japan. So remember, put that stress on that. Um, and so it's, it, it becomes essential. Um, and, and you get a two for one. You're, you're dealing with word stress and vowel reduction at the same time. And, and almost every time uh, that, that, uh, that vowel reduction is on the uh, unstressed syllable to a schwa. Yeah, and now you have us here, Karen and myself, just practicing Canada, Japan, and just yeah. try yes. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it, it really is kind of a fun, a fun part of it, and they have fun practicing that and, and realizing it. And it's something that we talk about in in pronunciation and in the literature, just raising that phonemic awareness. So once, because it's easy to ignore the schwa. And I don't think that should happen. I think we're doing a disservice if we're just like, ah, oh, yeah, you just produce it however you want. I mean, that's true for a lot of different things. And it's okay to have an accent as long as people understand you and you understand other people. But um, when when it affects intelligibility and comprehension, as I feel like uh, the schwa does, I think it's important to raise that phonemic awareness and and have them understand there's, there's a sound uh, in English uh, that is important to know, and it matters uh, to pronounce it correctly in a lot of different uh, um, words and in a lot of different sentences. So, um, yeah, schwa. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Neil, for this uh, amazing conversation about uh, <laughs> about phonetical awareness, about uh, intelligibility, about everything that we have discussed in this brief, maybe brief 30 minutes, but we know that we can even take longer, longer time to discuss this really interesting conversation. But I uh, would like to address our last uh, question. Sure. And um, for that, as I mentioned before, we know there are two different perspectives regarding the use of language. And those are the prescriptivist and the descriptivist. We mm -hmm. mentioned that uh, with uh, Hermione and Ron scene. Right. Uh, while from the prescriptivist point of view, as we said, the use of the language falls into the correct and incorrect spectrum. And the descriptivist sees the language as it is actually used and not how it must be used. Mm -hmm. So uh, what can you tell us about these perspectives in, in terms of phonology? Uh, you some you have mentioned already something about um, how it relies on the intelligibility, if I said it correctly. And uh, uh, but can, what can you tell us a little bit more about this? Does it matter if someone says Leviosa or Leviosa? Yeah, um, you know, it's 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 a. I think that was a bigger issue uh, in the past. Uh, especially with the British English, um, you know, uh, in in that country, 
there was such a difference in in class as represented in, by pronunciation. If you see my fair lady, you really uh, can see that. Uh, and um, and so they developed this uh, sort of pronunciation that they said, okay, this is the correct pronunciation. But they just basically pulled it out of a hat, and they're like, okay, this is how the 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 elites and educated people talk uh and they called it received pronunciation and uh and they really emphasized that uh, instruction in the educational system there and uh, of course abroad so the the united kingdom was very active in and and trying to get other uh, colonies and uh, countries in general to learn English. And of course, they were going to emphasize this re received pronunciation. So I think at that time, it was a really big deal. And of course, now uh, we've, uh, we're on the other side of that reaction against that. Uh, and even in their own country, um, I, I can't give you the specific citation, but there is a citation that says uh, there are less than 2% of the people that live in the United Kingdom that actually used uh, received pronunciation. One of the examples that they use is that it was more common to hear that kind of pronunciation, also known as the Queen's English, uh, which I think they still use. So if you really want an example of that, uh, just listen to the, uh, the to the Queen when she did speak um, or, or any of their family, uh, they still have that pronunciation and, and often in movies because that's what we expect. But um, uh, that received pronunciation was more common, uh, for example, uh, in uh, uh, the BBC. Uh, so uh, all of the people that would come on that radio, they would insist, hey, you have to speak right. You know, you have to use received pronunciation. But now uh, you hear all kinds of uh, accents and uh, in, in received uh, other than received pronunciation on the BBC. So. Uh, I think it's less important, but it's still a conversation that happens. Uh, and and so what pronunciation do you teach? Uh, what's right? What's correct? And 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 you can't say, I mean, there, it's and most of us are always going to have an accent uh, in the second language in one way or another, uh, unless we start very young and have lots and lots of input and practice. So uh, there is no correct pronunciation. There is only the way people talk uh, in uh, various native speaking countries and all of the accents uh, that uh, people have in, in, in English as a second language. And as long as they're intelligible and as long as they understand what people say to them, uh, whether they're native speakers or not, that, that's the key. Uh, and, and I think, just on on a, on another note uh, it's i think interesting and fun too you know i mean it not always just worrying about oh is it is it correct or not or uh, is it is it is it the best way uh, but just having fun with it you know and and playing around with different accents and uh, there's so many wonderful accents in english and 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 the same uh, goes for uh, spanish where where when they teach Spanish in the United States, it's uh, common to have this imposition of the Spanish accent uh, from Spain and only the what they told me is more of a Madrid accent. And um, even in Spain, you know, not everybody uh, likes uh, uh, that accent besides not using it. Um, and so 
Uh, but you know that happens in Texas. I, I heard that uh, there's a there's that kind of imposition in the Texas schools where there's so much influence from Mexico and so close to Mexico. It just seems crazy to me that they would do that. Um, let let people choose and play and 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 there's so many wonderful accents uh, from uh, uh, even within Mexico. You know how how could anybody say oh this is the right accent in Spanish in Mexico? Much less all of the spanish-speaking world uh so i don't know i think sometimes that's uh, instead of worrying so much about that realizing hey it's about being understood and understanding and having fun with it and i i i try to emphasize that with my students at least it, it can be a really fun process to try accents you know and just try them out and see what happens uh, imitate some of your favorite speakers of the language and, and just have fun with it uh, without worrying too much about uh, being right. But that aspect of being understood is correct, uh, is essential. And, and if we can give corrective feedback when we don't understand a student, uh, that is uh, really, really essential uh, to do and a, a great service that we can do uh, as teachers. Thank you very much. Indeed, phonetics and phonology, it's like such an interesting topic, right? Wow. Well, uh, thank you, Professor Neil, for being the sixth episode of our podcast, LinguaBees. We really appreciate your time, your comments and contributions. Okay. All right. Thank you. It was great to be here. Yes. Uh, well, uh, phonetics and phonology are an essential part of the process of language learning. As discussed in previous episodes, one of the main roles of applied linguistics is to identify and attain problems related to the language. So it is a pleasure for us to have had the opportunity to talk with Professor Neil, who elucidated several aspects in this regard. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and we'll be back soon with another episode of your podcast, LinguaVis, because applied linguistics is for everybody. This podcast is part of the Applied Linguistics Master's Program at the University of Guanajuato in Mexico. This episode was produced by Natalia Carolina Gonzalez Marentes. Claudia Ingrid Perez Maldonado and Ana Karen Ocampo Marquez are the co-host. This episode was edited by Alondra Juarez Hernandez and Patricia Linares Flores. The script was written by Dulcea Anayeli de Anda Vargas. The social media managers are Alejandro Aguilar Arriaga and Carlos Silva Rayas.